This week on the podcast, we are having a very special exit interview with with Anne. Um, and Anne, what is what is your official title as of right now? I am heading out as a technical creative director. And do you remember the role you had when you started at Whole Whale? Oh, absolutely. That was in 2013. I started out as the design intern. And over the years, uh, I was nine months of internship and then I turned full time and I've had all about four different titles, all with whalers in them until the very end. It got too long for, for this role to have that in there. You will always be an honorary whaler. You can never get rid of the, uh, the title. Always. So I am, uh, I'm, I'm going through our, our exit interview-ish, exit interview podcast, which has become a bit of a tradition. I hope it won't become too regular. <laughs> but Only we, after seven uh, years. Yeah, right? Only after seven years. Uh, I'm excited for this because, frankly, like the audience for this is not the general listener. So, you know, thank you for listening. There are a lot of awesome people that listen, but this, this is really, I think for, you know, staff, future staff and, and a little bit of posterity and, and understanding, you know, what it actually looks like when, when somebody spends this much time in an organization and uh, maybe we'll sort of start there. Like what kept you here for seven years, far, far, far outside of the normal, normal window for uh, this generation in a job, which is like hovers around two years. Yeah, that's, that's quite a bit above average. I remember when I first looked at the design intern job description, the line that stood out the most to me was that everyone starts somewhere and we, we uh, value learning at the company. And I found that to be very true when I joined as an intern. And it has allowed me to learn up and blend in my interests in all these different fields. I have an innate passion for design, but I knew very early on that being a designer is not my only interest. So at Whole Whale, when I saw the little diagram of tech and impact and data, I was like, this is the place. That's a cool intersection to be. It allowed me to learn up on data, on development, on project management. And then later on, I think the most interesting portion of my time here is mentoring and leading a team. Um, and it kept me here for so long because I got to write those job descriptions with you, George. It, I Every single job, every single evolution of my job description is something that I is my dream job. Um, and I didn't get to do just one, but multiple of those. Uh, and throughout the years, we got to work with incredible clients that I'm super passionate about from mental health to uh, political causes to education. So the people, the career trajectory and the mentorship is what kept me here for so long. And I, I would stay here again, but I knew that change is something that I need to, to propel myself into the next phase. So tough. Uh, I know. I also want to share. Like you gave uh, how many? How much notice is it? At least I think it was a year and a half or a year. Yeah. Well, you know <laughs> I what? Even know. Unofficially, famously, at one of our barbecues in 2019, July of 2019, to be exact, when you and I, always the last one standing, doing dishes at the end, you asked me how much longer I would stay here, and I told you probably around two years. And that is spot on because we are now at July 2021. So I'm nothing of not honest. Um, so I gave you a bit of informal notice. And then a year later in July 2020, when I was already deep into the MBA application process and knew that this was a, a path that I would seriously pursue, I let you know about the that my, my departure and my plans. Um, and then I, I thought that was very critical because of my role at the company being the bridge between the junior staff and the senior leadership team. 
that it would not be fair to anyone to have this rug pulled out from under them. So I wanted to give a very long, long lead so that I can plan for myself as well. Uh, and then in January of this year, six months before my departure, and we let the whole team know. Um, so it's been a very long goodbye. And all I want is an anticlimactic goodbye uh, with everyone have uh, what they need to succeed. Yeah, you really want that moment to be as boring as possible and not some yep. sort of like buzzer beater. Uh, I love this morning on check-in. You're like, well, what's on my plate? Yeah, I guess I'll go through some receipts. Like, that's what you want. You want key yep. personnel when they're moving out to be like, I guess I'll like move this paper clip from the left side of the paper to the right. Like, that's the right way to do it. Before we go forward too much further i mean i i mean i know your background but i think uh it's absolutely fascinating can you give us like you know two minutes on on and pretty whole whale and and sort of your your adventure into these united states and 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 toward whole whale yeah absolutely this is something that i'm still coming to to terms with and and i appreciate my upbringing every single day it's difficult but it gave me the perspective I, I was born in Vietnam. My dad was a diplomat for Vietnam. So every three to five years, we would pick up and move to a new country. So I spent half of my life in Vietnam on and off and half of my life in Australia, DC, New York, which was very difficult to be plopped into a new environment where you didn't know the people, the language, but it, it helped me to, to learn empathy very early on so that I can protect myself and make friends in all these different settings. Um, and I think all throughout my experiences, what I see is that, my God, the humanity that we live in, there's so much more than just job. And so very early on through my parents' example in civic duty and, and what I saw growing up, I, I want to, to do good in the world. And that's how uh, in New York, I was in college going to all these events, met some people from doing something that work where you, George, were the former CTO, and they put me in touch with you. And I think all of those spontaneous connections have led to so many incredible opportunities, uh, including whole oil. And when I got here, I saw the vision. I, the whole oil is very idealistic, but also pragmatic. Like we have the data, the work to back up what we define as impact. I saw that vision and it was a very tiny company at the time. It was a huge gamble for me and for whole oil to take me on um, as an international foreign worker. But I didn't really think about staying here as my motivator to finding a job. I wanted to do good. And somehow things fell into place. We got extremely lucky with our H-1B uh, work permits uh, lottery, which allowed me to stay here. And then Holwell also appreciate, uh, helped me with uh, petitioning for a green card, which uh, which turned into crystallized six years after my uh, time full-time at Holwell. Extremely lucky. And I, I'm grateful for all, all the things that fell into place. But I think that um, all of this happened because I, I really wanted to do some good in the world and and what am in the company of extremely kind, passionate people. Yeah. And if uh, this is their first time listening to the podcast, you can go back. We've actually documented those episodes. Uh, I think we had definitely one for the green card, I remember, and then also the H-1B. So if you are looking for sort of that information, not just the story on on how we went through and about that process. Um, you know, you can go back and hear how happy we were at the time for that. Um, I, uh, I, I'd like to say famously, I, I told you there's only one plan for this, plan A, and that's get this H-1B through. Um, no backup plan. <laughs> Sometimes it helps to be naively optimistic, and I'm glad that worked out. Yeah. 
So going back to your your adventures at Whole Whale, and and one thing I think I got um, myself on the back here got right was you know you getting the flexibility to write your own job descriptions and saying like, hey, um, why don't you write out what you know what it is you think that next step is. The other piece here, which, you know, frankly was an advantage and unique was, as you mentioned, you started when Whole Whale was at four people. Now we're at 22 people. And so frankly, it's it's a little different. And I'm curious, like, what are the biggest differences you've noticed in uh, being at a company that has gone from that size and style to our present? Oh, it is very different. And Frankly, I like being the, some of the first people at any initiative. Um, and I was full-time employee number four at Whole Whale. At the time, I think going from four to 20, we're still a tiny company, but that is a five-fold. And it comes with a lot of different growing pains in a very good way. Going back to the four-people team, I think at that size, I recall that it was very easy to look around and see exactly what everyone is doing, the process and the systems we have in place as a young company. And we also, uh, each person had a lot of say in how we wanted to drive the company forward. Uh, And it was also just a lot easier to get to know each and every of your other team member on a personal level, because we we would go to lunch every day, the same three people, we would hang out, we'd get drinks afterwards, we would get play bocce. And I really, I really appreciated those moments. Now, I also love how much we have grown and evolved over the years. Uh, The big change now is I think what I took for granted at a four person team and now at 20 is that your systems don't just scale themselves. We have to be very meticulous about documenting training and assuming that people are just being over communicative with our new folks at the size to make sure that they understand how to use a sauna, how to use Slack, how to use Confluence, things that are like second nature to us at a four person team and being here so long, but as it's crystal clear, to the new folks. So I would say the curse of knowledge is super huge gap in this uh, instance. And the other thing I mentioned earlier is getting to know each team member in a way that is not just who they are at work, but as much as they'd like to share with us as humans, because everyone has their own motivations. So it requires a lot of getting out of your way and understanding that your job description is not just an add-on of management, but it's a big portion and, and spending the time to do box, what we call box, which are beverage of choice, getting to know our team um, on an individual personal level, which is a bit, has been incredibly difficult in this virtual world. So not only four people in person, but also 20 people virtually. Um, so I think over communicative, making yourself available, be the first person to, to share stories opens up a lot of room for connections and growth within a team. And I'll be honest, I'm very sad to not be here for this stage of growth in our company where at 20, we're going to get to 30 so much quicker than how long it took us to get to 10. Oh gosh, you're scaring um, me right now. <laughs> it's so much fun, George. Good luck. But you've got some talented people to help you out. Um, but I'm I'm so looking forward to see how we scale from 20 to be way beyond that. I would say maybe even 40, 50 in the next three to five years. You're giving me, you're giving me stress right now. George, it's it's a company. It's exciting it's a company that it's growing. That's supposed to grow. It's a company. Uh, you... and, and one additional thing I'll add is that the certainty right now is so much higher as confidence in the company than it was when I uh, than we were when we were at four people. At four, it was quite cute. I would say is <laughs> the, the business term like we're doing this, we're getting by, we're growing every year. 
But at 20, I feel like that's when you know that th- this company has legs and that it has a strong foundation for, for future growth. Yeah, the you kind of touched on a couple points there. I mean, one is, you know, choosing to work at a company of four or, you know, in that initial startup phase is is incredibly risky, even if, you know, sort of not financially aside, right, for whatever risks you're taking on on that front. But on the the fact that you're you're giving over your time, which is your most valuable asset, full stop, your most valuable asset in your career building. And so to join a small company that frankly could, you know, go sideways for any number of reasons because, you know, 80% of companies aren't making it to that five-year mark. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, taking that risk is is pretty uh, is pretty sizable. Um, and I'm, you know, thrilled that you like you chose to work here because there were some times where, you know, when I, for instance, moved to California and took over the the New York <laughs> office, essentially, you know, it's not a great move to have a CEO across the country. That was one of those moments. Um, and I'm, I'm wondering if there's anything you learned uh, in that moment that was like sort of different because you went from obviously a, a key employee to someone who was like, no, 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 everyone, this is our office. This is the culture. This is what we're doing. And I would sort of be on Zoom. Yeah, I would say with all of this, even starting at a small company and then inheriting the role of the lead of New York, all of that I see as the upside of uncertainty. If I were to work at a big company, that's cool. I know my life will go a certain way trajectory. It's pretty steady and linear. But at a company like Whole Whale, there could be a hockey stick growth. And that's exactly what I went through. And that inflection point happened, I, I think, for me, when, when you moved out to California and gave me the, 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 the responsibility of leading our East Coast operations, which is the majority of our team. And what I learned the most there is that it's not about the authority that I had. I really didn't care about much that as much as being the, the person who facilitates our team's conversations around needs and wants and how we want to grow to get their input and then synthesize that into an action step. Um, it was a, a very good lesson in, in not relying on authority, but building up that relationship and reputation within the team. Um, and then communicating a lot of the feedback up to you, being that bridge literally by Coastal to, to keep our company going. And I, I'm super grateful for that opportunity. And we joke that that was such a moment of Michael Scott, somehow I manage but we were figuring it out as we go along. And I just had a lot of trust in you to, to that, that you trusted me. So there must be something there. Um, and the ability to learn from other people in our space. I'm grateful for those connections. And that our team was so patient in allowing me the space to learn. Sort of like as, you know, figuring out how to fly the plane as we're already, uh, as we're already en route. So um, I think, yeah, for me, I love the upside of uncertainty, the ability to learn and take calculated risks and jumping headfirst into a massive opportunity that, frankly, is started the, the narrative of, of my mini MBA at Whole Whale and, and the stories that I use in my MBA application and going forward. Yeah, the uh, relationship, the role, power, and reputation as the three R's of what you have. And I think as a manager, and then you assume sometimes, I think, if only I were the CEO, I'd have the power to just snap my <laughs> fingers and do this. And I think one of the funniest things uh, when you step into that role is realizing how little power you actually have. <laughs> when it comes to like, can you do this? Why is this thing not being done? Because you're only using one of the R's. And it usually is if you are maybe 
green or assuming that what you say automatically goes is because you're relying on role power, right? Your role in the company as um, chief whatever instead of the relationship and um, other elements that you have to, to move a company forward. I want to turn back to something you said earlier, because I think it's it's pretty critical and we, we danced across it. And that's the idea of curse of knowledge. And, you know, it's a little bit of uh, whole whale speak, but it, it is a concept that is out there. Can you explain a little bit more about what you mean by the curse of knowledge? And then more importantly, how that can hurt an organization that's scaling and maybe even um, as, a, as a warning for, you know, new existing whalers as new whalers come on, what curse of mm-hmm. knowledge actually looks like. Well, I'm going to clap something for you. And can you tell me what song it is? All right, let's start. That's old McDonald's. Well, pretty close, but it's actually happy birthday. Uh, this is you were a clapping good happy birthday. And I was in, clapping in your happy mind, birthday. yeah, it was pretty clear. Yeah, it was crystal clear to me. It was crystal clear, clear to me, but not so to others. And this happens all the time, especially for folks who have been somewhere doing something for so long, singing the same song in your head. Of course, it's that song. But it's not immediately clear how we convey our thoughts and our vision to newer folks or people who join later on what it is that is exactly in our head. What tune are we singing? Um, and I think that it's super critical and we both know this going, leading a company that, um, we must be extra clear sometimes with the vision, even for description for a little task going up all the way to the vision of a company to communicate again and again, be very clear to the point of like explaining to people how to walk. You put a foot forward, then the other foot forward, hands in a separate way. Um, and not taking for granted the knowledge and the privilege that we have of information. And this is critical to as, as we scale a company, because I think that as we talk more about diversity, equity, and inclusion, how do we include people, new staff into feeling ownership into the company? We do that by getting be, being mindful of our bias, being mindful of our privilege of information and knowledge and power, and sharing that out by like, telling you, breaking down the song, like, here is what I'm trying to convey to you. Um, And we've seen this time and again in our, I think, the way that we run a company by having transparent meetings where every quarter you lead the team through our quarterly review of here's how we did, here are the wins, here are some of the shortcomings, and here's how we are financially, being as crystal clear as possible. And I know that we still have blind spots. And this is where the critical mass comes in of 20 plus people who tell us like, hey, by the way, when you said that thing, what do you mean? Which I think is going to only going to make our company stronger. And they know our team knows that they can speak up to senior leadership in that way without getting any kind of retribution and get a response that gives them more explanation on, on why we're doing what we do and the vision that we have for the company. Moving this conversation toward what's next. Um, so as we just mentioned, you um, uh, gave notice a couple of years ago, but also like <laughs> a soft notice. Uh, and then more more tangibly came to me and saying, hey, I want to try to pursue my MBA. Walk us through why you feel like an MBA makes sense versus starting your own thing or frankly, you know, you know, 
picking any job you really want out there right now? Yeah, I would say I spent more time debating the MBA than I did applying to the MBA, which was a long time and a very arduous journey. Uh, but I had a lot of pros and cons as I spoke to people and did my own research for the MBA because one, it's super expensive. Two, it's very theoretical. Three, is that there's a lot of time where all of these resources I can put into either applying to a new role or a shorter certificate or, you know, some get start my own company somewhere. But I think that at the end of the day, what I come back to is that life is long. And this is a, I look at things in lifetime value. And so the MBA would be a moment for me to, after seven years at whole, really take a step back in terms of not working uh, and reflecting on it, what it is I really want to do and fully double down, invest on that direction, which I know social impact is a big part of it. Uh, and so life is long there will be important milestones. So why rush it? And that's one of my biggest rationale for taking uh, doing an MBA. It'll also put me in touch with some the, some of the smartest people that I know will be friends with for a long time that I'll ever meet, um, who will open doors and help me as a person of color, as an immigrant, as a queer person to succeed in this world where you don't see a lot of us in the leadership space. And I want to be part of that new class of leadership that really changes business for good. Um, so that is the big rationale here. Um, and I, I know that my time at Holwell has been a mini MBA. So there will be a lot of leadership and EQ lessons where in school, I'll be like, I already know this. I already learned that at Holwell. But I think I'll be humbled when I get there of the things I don't know. And where are you headed? I am going to the Yale School of Management uh, starting this fall. And the reason why I picked Yale is it's one of the programs that is more known to have social impact as an overarching theme in its business program. Yeah, and you were, um, you know, pretty incredible to have gotten into a school of that uh, caliber. Uh, and I want to actually give folks that are interested in MBA and assume it's like, oh yeah, and then you just submit your application. Um, what kind of work went into <laughs> getting ready and from testing to writing uh, for the MBA application process? Oh. Oof, uh, I quantify, I try to log every hour that I spend on this application process. So I get a sense at the end of this, the hard work, the discipline that I had to go into, and also of a lot of luck and support that went into this process. Um, I will say that I was super lucky to have put off this process. I was thinking about it in 2018, 2019, but never really acted on it because GMAT. And then 2020, I was like, this is the year to do it. Also coincided with the pandemic, also coincided with the really incredible and important racial justice movement, and then the election, which just propelled me to, say, to know that I want to do something larger in this life. So I doubled down on the MBA application. Um, I didn't have to commute, which gave me a lot of time to study for the GMAT. All in all, from start to finish, from attending events, webinars, studying for the GMAT, writing essays, recommendation letters, interviews, I spent a loggable 526 hours on this process. And this is not counting all the hours I spent worrying uh, about the, the outcome and the mental toll it really takes on you, which no one really talks about. And I think I, I will be the person to bring up the, the really critical component of mental health in, in this process. Um, and it was, I was juggling the, pro, the application with one of our biggest campaign with a progressive pact to help elect Democrats in the 2020 election, arguably the most critical election of our lifetime. I was not, I was not able to vote because I'm not a citizen, but I knew that there's something larger that I could do 
with uh, to get millions of dollars for Democrats, get tens of thousands of volunteers to help with the outcome. And so there was a lot of I needed a mic drop moment and that was it. And I, I weave that very much into my application narrative. And I think uh, I probably resonated well looking at the the outcome. Yeah, it's kind of amazing the breadth of clients and causes you've gotten to to work on. Um, for those of you listening, Anne uses the word luck. Um, but I think in the truest sense of what luck actually means, it's opportunity plus preparation. And for Anne, it's like, it's not just this a, a raw ability to synthesize information. You're like, oh, Anne's just like really smart and able to do these things. Like pay attention to the that little, oh, I tracked the amount of hours. Like how many hours did it take to apply? And how did you go about it as, um, as a practice and dedication? It took uh, 526 hours, I think 526 and a half to be exact. Um, I, I broke this down into, I, I, I knew for me what helped me succeed was connecting with a lot of people. So I spent a good chunk of those hours talking with people who had done gone through the process. I also spoke with people who were very against MBA so that I could get a full view and make, um, uh, um, sorry, I have a, I have an objection in my throat there. I'm done. Oh, <laughs> there's a weird objection there. So yeah, I spent a lot of time speaking with people with objections and, and, uh, supporters of the MBA. I, the GMAT was, oh my goodness, it was crushing to anybody's confidence. Like, I think I have, you know, somewhat of an intelligence, innate ability to solve problems, but that thing just crushed me. I would spend about an hour before work, an hour after work every single day for about four to five months trying to crush this test. And the fact that you can get better at a test says a lot about uh, the privilege that one needs to get through a standardized test. And I've, I thankfully I had that. Um, I took, I logged the score of, of all the practice tests that I took and George, uh, under or over 10 practice tests. What do you think? You're taking the over, you kidding me? Yeah, you know, that's that an easy answer there. I took 20 practice tests. So every single weekend, I would double down on uh, on practicing. If I do nothing else, it is practice and put myself in that environment to mimic the real test. So after 20 tests, I finally got the score. Uh, 2018 practice tests, two actual real tests. I finally got the score that I needed. Um, and it felt quite nice. The day that I took that test, it was when Biden was announced as the winner. So like, hallelujah, it was one of the most celebratory days of 2020 for me. And then, uh, I wrote a lot of essays. I built a campaign around me who helped support and, uh, and just gut, gut check some of the narratives with me. And this is what I learned from user testing. I'm not writing this for myself, I'm not building a website for myself. I'm writing this for other people to perceive my application. So I, I early on, I had did a lot of user testing, which has been critical. And then interview prep. Um, at the time, we were also at Holwell hiring for a lot of people. So I had a, an immense sense of empathy for those folks who, who were interviewing with us because I saw how hard it was. But through that, I think I also, through interviewing people, I also got a better sense of how to answer certain questions in the MBA application process. Um, that really, I think, helped, uh, helped me get to where I am. And I will say that after that, no one talks about the decision process of where to go, but it is such a crucial, important moment and super stressful uh, that required just when you thought getting in is the end of the application process. No, no, no. There's way more in the decision and transition um, that, again, I, I had a lot of people to bounce ideas of. And I'm ultimately very confident in the path that I chose. And here we are, moving to New Haven. That was just one little window into 
Anne's approach to an MBA. And if you wonder how a design intern ends up, you know, essentially leading technology at uh, at this company, it's it's really lucky, isn't it, Anne? Really lucky, huh? That's Just a bit of luck and a and a whole lot of cross training in all the senses. Cross training in both my like mental and physical space. I, I truly believe that you have to have both. I do a whole lot of yoga for breathing and calmness and then running to be like, what's harder than the GMAT running? So let's do that. And those, those cross training moments, I, I think help and luck, uh, is helped me get me got here. All right. I want to move to some advice that you would give to, uh, current near future whole whale employees. All right. I've been doing a lot of this. I think I've done like 18, 17 box with our folks as my goodbye tour. The, the advice that I give to most newer whalers is to really try to be curious and learn unapologetic, uh, unapologetic. Oh my goodness. After wisdom teeth surgery, it's a little hard to talk. Uh, just learn without permission. That's an easier way of saying that. Um, because from my story and what I hope to distill in people is that if you are curious about something, you can go chase down that thing, learn more about it and write a career out of those interests and passion that, so the autonomy is so critical in building a career because I, I, every whaler who enters our door, I don't see them as just getting a job. I do truly see for them a career here that can catapult them into something incredible in the rest of their career. Um, and this goes back to the some of the principles from Drive, Daniel Pink's book, Map, uh, Mastery, Autonomy, Purpose. Try to get all three of those elements, but the autonomy there, I, I, for me, I think is the most critical component of the three to make sure that you're driving your own ship. Yeah, that's um, you know a good note there for for balancing that, but the uh, the curiosity to chase and then learn uh, things that are of interest and overlap with. Uh, the organization and your and your growth role. Um, it, it, I mean, it's really on you. You know, no one's going to be able to force you to take that, uh, read that book, take that course, whatever it is on the side. And then I've got sort of, I, I don't know how to frame it other than like bumbling into it, but I, I am, you know, I kind of look back at my own management style and all I see are brutal mistakes along the way. <laughs> I look at shortcomings in and still have my personality. I am sort of, I can be a competitive jerk. I can be like very hot headed at times. I get passionate about, uh, you know, various issues. My third rail like gets triggered anytime I see something as unfair or if an organization is getting maybe taken advantage of by whatever power. And then internally, like, I, I just feel like I, um, I, I hope I have grown a little bit, but I'm wondering because you've worked with me longer and closer than most what advice can you give others about like sort of managing up and, and uh, managing your boss at, <laughs> at whole whale? Well, I think that again, I, I was in a position where sometimes, yes, those things that you said about your management style, style does creep up and it, it happens, but you are aware of those things and you are open to feedback, which gives me the sort of the permission or the door to give you feedback. And I do that through, I think we, we have this informal conversation. Sometimes I, I, I understand the importance of immediate feedback. So if there are moments of like a discomfort or unnecessary 
uh, comments, I would let you know in Slack. And I base it back on the situation and I never the person, which is goes for everybody. But I think no matter who you are in the organization, a junior person or C staff, it's important to help them understand what was the behavior versus characterizing them as an adjective, which is not fair and not helpful. Um, and you also give uh, give me a lot of different opportunities to give you feedback or the C team. We have our weekly check-ins, which is from day one, I've always had that with you, uh, for, for us to have an opportunity to give each other feedback. I We also have our Q meetings where I give you feedback. And I think the the window that I have into our team is that I they perhaps feel a bit more comfortable telling, giving me feedback to the C team that I can relay up to you and also encourage them to speak directly to you and our C team because there isn't the, a game of telephone feedback isn't necessary. And it, sometimes it's more helpful to hear it from the person with the feedback than not. Um, and so I think just encouraging and empowering our team to speak directly with you is has been the most effective way for me to help uh, to, to manage up. As good as advice as I think you could give. Um, what do you think is next for, for Whole Whale in, say, uh, uh, the next five years? Oh, I'm, if only I would, could stay here and figure out what it is. Um, if I had to guess, I will, in terms of team size, I know we'll continue to grow. It's really hard, as we've seen, to scale up as an agency in a way that is responsible. Uh, but I know that with the work that we have, the reputation that we've built up um, and, and nonprofits just shifting landscape of what we've seen with paid ads and digital strategy mentality, we're gonna have more incredible work and clients come our way. And so our team will grow in the next five years. Let's let's call it like four person a year. That means 20 more people. We'll be at like around 40 people. I'd be so curious to see how that works out. So um, nobody, nobody leaves. <laughs> nobody leaves. You, you can't leave. You haven't hit seven years yet. You should uh, absolutely leave room to leave. <laughs> uh, so there will be some attrition there, but I think, you know, 40 in terms of all kinds of different staff. So I, I think we could get there 35, 40, a uh, very interesting phase of the company growth in terms of the work. Uh, one of the things that I really enjoyed working with you on is our product side of whole whale, which only accounts for a small portion of what we do and our revenue, but it, it leaves, it's like this incredible sandbox for people to come in, pitch in ideas, fail, get back up and do something new. And so far the products that I, that I have worked on has not really taken off, but it's been an incredible learning experience. So I do think that there's positive ROI there across the board. Um, whole whale U, whole university is incredible. That'll continue to be our engine. But I do think there may be a tech product in the next five years that takes off perhaps our inclusivity checker that Oof. helps us to build out a more, a stronger foundation on the product side and not have to rely too much on our providing service, treating hours for, for revenue. Um, and then what else on in five years, I'm also curious in the structure of the company and how we evolve. Like uh, in the beginning, we weren't in a B Corp, but then we, from the team's feedback, we became a B Corp, but that's just the beginning. Uh, so I'm curious to see if in the future, we change our structure in a way that perhaps built in any kind of uh, shared ownership among our employees. I don't know. It's, uh, and that's what I love about Howell. We evolve and change and listen to feedback all the time. Yeah, I'm just laughing to myself about our, our adventures and products. I feel like you and I got like a front row seat in, um, you know, I just 
to be honest, like what it's like to fail a product um, <laughs> that like makes sense up front. But like we took small bets along the way and I learned so much from that. And I think I really, to be honest, like I know it's, uh, it's like what five ish percent of our revenue at this point for our products. But if we weren't doing that, I think I would have just been bored. Um, I would have been maybe happier if one of our products had really sort of taken off, but I'm not going to give up. But I think you learn far more when a product tanks or doesn't achieve what you initially set it out to than the like blind success. And you're like, it's easy. You just like product market fit, insert buzzword, and then you exit. Like that's just not how most products end. So I feel like you and I got a front seat on a different type of MBA. Yeah. And we failed gracefully. It didn't, it, no one's, job was on the line oh, and yeah we did yeah so yes yes yeah yes and i i love that it keeps us sharp otherwise we'd be playing in our in our complacent sandbox and 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 that just doesn't help us grow no exactly um but it was fun doing that uh all right we have advice for whalers we have advice for managing george uh and along the way <laughs> uh okay i feel like i gotta move into rapid fire so let me just make sure I got the questions because you'd think I'd memorize them. I just don't want to screw it up. All righty. Man, are you ready for rapid fire? <laughs> Let's do it. Always. Uh, what is one tech tool that you have started using in the last year? Tech tools. Tech tools that I've used in the last year. I would probably say something around crypto. I'm learning more about uh, what DeFi means, what, uh, what, blockchain applications of the future could be. So I wouldn't say one tool, but just a very deep curiosity in this technology that would be Web 4.0. And what tech issues are you battling with? Tech issues I'm battling with? Uh, oh, yes. As I'm moving out of Whole I would say people talk about moving apartments, but gosh, moving your stuff on the cloud is a lot of work. So permissions and files, making sure the team has access to everything that I created is what I'm focusing on right now. That's tough. What is coming in the next year that has you the most excited? MBA. Talk about a mistake you made earlier in your career that shapes the way you do things today. Might have had the same answer in the last pod, but this goes to show I'm consistent. I, uh, early on when we were doing web redesigns, which I loved, um, I, I, I realized very quickly that it took way more work than we were equipped to handle and our margins on the bigger revenue portions were not that high. So I made the recommendation in a way that could have been more democratic in our staff retreat to discontinue the service. Um, looking back, right decision, but wrong way of of uh, relaying that or proposing that to the team without getting their feedback. Like, it should not have been a big reveal. I should have included the team in the conversation and added justification as to why I thought it was not a, a viable service line for us. Do you believe nonprofits can successfully go out of business? Yes. Part of throwing in the hot tub time machine back to the beginning of your work with Whole Whale, what advice would you give yourself? I would tell myself to speak up a bit more. I think that due to my personality, I was a bit more reticent compared to some other whalers who I absolutely adore back then. Um, but I think that I, frankly, in the beginning would not have imagined that I would be leading the, the New York operations. And I don't think you did either, because um, part of it is just I didn't speak up my interest enough. 
And, but when the opportunity came up, I'm, I have a bias for action, but I do know that speaking up and, and advocating for myself mattered. And I would have done that more. What is something you think that you should stop doing? I should stop taking on work that I know I don't have time to do. Now that it's my last day, I've got to do that. I already give you a magical wand to wave across the social impact sector. What would it do? The wand would give the social impact sector, this is my love for design, an extreme makeover with regards to aesthetic design user experience, because I do think that good design brings trust and action. How did you get started in the social impact sector? I live in the purpose economy, very lucky to be in a place where I no longer have to worry about the first thing is what's over my head. Do I have a roof? Like those things that I have, and I'm very privileged to have them. And so I focus my energy on making this world a little less shitty. What advice did your parents give you that you either followed or didn't? My mom, back in the days uh, when I was little, if it was raining, she wouldn't, she would stay home, work from home or not work at all. If it was too sunny, she wouldn't go in either. And I was like, that is very cool, Ma. You have to have flexibility in your life. And so I I made sure I followed that that trajectory of being at a place where it's not too strict, where it's more human. And thanks, Mom, for setting that example. What advice would you give college grads, recent college grads, looking to enter the social impact or purpose economy? You have got to be speaking to people. Uh, it might be uncomfortable. It, it absolutely is uncomfortable to reach out to strangers. But that is how I got started by having these conversations to help me get a better understanding of what the sector entails and have I got to learn from them um, and what they do and got connected with you and with other amazing social change makers in the space that to this day, eight years later, I'm still friends with and we're working together. What is your favorite question to ask people? What makes you happy? Okay. And where... Do you see yourself in five years? In five years, I will have graduated from an MBA, hopefully. I hope I won't fail any classes. I will likely be working at a company at the time, at the time to just build up more international social innovation experience. I don't know exactly in which space yet, but I'd like to be directionally right and not prescribed. And then I also think in five years, I possibly on the side could be working on my own company plant the seeds for them, something around mental health in Southeast Asia. And uh, I, I hope that's, I hope I stick to my plan, all the things that I wrote in my application essay. Yeah. Um, I don't want this to end. <laughs> <laughs> it won't. The thing is, George, I appreciate you so much and beyond having a, a, an incredible work relationship. We're also we respect each other as, as humans and we have a good time outside of work. And so this, I, this is highly uncommon where someone departs from a company, gives long notice, has the best exit. I'm just saying that people are you, you, uh, eulogizing me as I'm still alive, which I am so deeply appreciative of. of uh, and I know we'll still be friends way after this. Well, and I have no doubt that you're going to succeed. So be careful what you set your mind to. Thank you. All right, George, it's been a ride. This has been Using the Whole Whale podcast. 
If you want to keep learning more about these topics and others, head on over to wholewhale.com university to keep learning with us. Thanks as always to gregthomasmusic.org for his tunes that underwrite our tracks. They're fantastic. Hope you're doing well, Greg. And just a reminder, subscribes really help us on any platform that you listen to us on. Please give a thought to click and subscribe and maybe even a comment because we like hearing from you.